0: You're listening to The Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Let us wrap up our sermon series on Love's Pure Light, but would you pray with me before we get into it? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your goodness. May your Holy Spirit be present speaking to us through these ancient words that they may bring us life, your life, the life that is unique to you because we need it desperately. So speak to us in this week uh, and we give you all praise and thanks for what you are going to do and say in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew and Luke have our traditional Christmas stories where Jesus is born. And you get shepherds in Luke because Luke really wants to tell you that the gospel comes to the margins to those who are struggling and down and out. And so the gospel is first preached that Jesus is born to these lowly shepherds who are on the bottom of the class system in ancient Israel. In Matthew, what he wants you to know with the Magi is that this gospel is for everyone, including those outside of Israel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they want to tell you the story of this human being named Jesus, but at the end of his life, they want you, like the Roman centurion on the cross, to see dead Jesus and proclaim, surely this was the Son of God. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the gospels that see together, synoptics. They want to tell you the story, but there's this special human, that we ultimately learn by the ends is truly God. John goes a different route. John wants to tell you the story about God who became human. And so he doesn't start with Jesus as a baby. He starts with the eternal Word, the second person of the Trinity who has been existent since before the beginning forever, eternally existent and coexistent with the Father, and how this Word, the Son, took on flesh he begins this way in the beginning was the word if you know your scriptures you should know that he is already talking about that genesis stuff that we talked about a few weeks ago months ago now the bible begins right in the beginning and john wants to set the stage there that in the beginning and before the beginning was this thing called the word because because um Somebody messaged me already. I love it. Send those texts. Because God creates through speaking. And God said. And there's this whole Jewish tradition that I'd really love to get into, maybe a sermon series for the summer uh, about the Word, about the wisdom of God, about the Sophia, the Logos of God, and how uh, this is how God creates. But in the beginning was this thing called the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the word, right? Because God speaks it into existence. And without the word, nothing came into being. And what came into being through the word was life. And the life was the light for all people, John tells us. This is his Christmas story. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. And skipping down to verse 14, he tells us, and the word became flesh and made his home among us, or dwelled among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And of course, if you read the rest of the chapter, you know he's talking about Jesus. Our sermon series is uh, about the candles and about these goals that we have. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them at any time. We're already on it. Keep going. This is a dialogue. I don't want it to be a monologue as much as it can't, can or can't be. The theme kind of quote for this sermon series is from Fleming Rutledge. She says, Advent is a time for making a fearless inventory of the darkness. And we just went through a season of Advent. And now we're in a season of Christmas. And I hope you know, I think you know that Christmas lasts 12 days. It's still Christmas. I know you're like, oh, I'm so over it already. <laughs> Day two, but you got so many more days. Two turtle doves arriving today. <laughs> um and during this candle Advent season, we're thinking about our own spiritual journeys. You know the candles, we've gone through them. There's five of them, and they all five are lit because we've had our Christmas. we got hope and peace and joy and love, and now finally the Jesus candle, the Christ candle, because Christ has has arrived. I've told you that my bosses have these goals for us and we're pairing them with the candles. We've gone through all five of these now. I, as of today, we'll be on the fifth one. Cross-cultural collaboration with hope and life-giving holiness, Christ-compelled multiplication, love-driven justice last week, and then finally, God-given revelation is what we're talking about today. We're matching those up with the candles. It's our last one um, as of today. God-given revelation revelation. Uh, It was hard for me to process this because I'm trying to figure it out, but I'm going to process this idea around authority. This is a question about authority. Namely, who has the authority to tell you what God is like? Who has the authority to speak into your life? Who has the authority to tell you that some of the things that you want to do, you shouldn't do, right? Some of the ways that uh, are core to who you are are bent towards selfishness, and evil who has authority in your life about who God is about how we know where to find the truth and knowledge about God I got bad news but it's really mixed news it begins with the question this how do we know what God is like and I always think of this quote from A.W. Tozer which I've quoted him a lot during this series I haven't read him that much but I just think of this quote every time What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Your conception of God, he says, is the most important thing about you because what you think God is like determines your whole spiritual uh, existence. The problem outside and inside the church is that lots of people are happy to give you a picture of God and sometimes that comes from ignorance and sometimes that comes for their own benefit, right? So I don't know what your picture of God is. Here's some cultural ideas and pictures of who God is. And this uh, is about authority. Maybe it's this mean one, right? There's a giant stick carrying God who just can't wait to swack you when you, <laughs> when you mess up, right? Judgmental and scornful and mostly upset. 20 seconds of uh, my favorite Christmas movie, but it begins with, uh, I got to watch it last night, so I got to add it to the sermon, but uh, this, the movie begins with everyone praying for this beloved character in town, and, and then it shows a scene of who receives these prayers. I don't know how loud that's going to be. There we go. Hello, Joseph looks like we'll have to send someone down a lot of people asking for help for a man named George Bailey George Bailey yes tonight's his crucial night you're right we'll have to send someone down immediately that's it that's all you get uh it's a wonderful life right George Bailey is having a, a crisis of faith and love life and all these people are praying and the movie just zooms out literally as far as they could conceive and whatever year it was made, into space, into these non-personal galaxies speaking to each other. And somehow, right, this is their conception of of the divine or or the divine business that's going on. Maybe you watch Dogma in the 90s, right, in Solano, Morissette, or it's Morgan Freeman. Not a bad option, but one of my favorite portraits uh, of God measuring... Uh, I think it's William Blake. But some people have this conception of God of may, uh, as a, like a clockmaker, right? Of maybe God just kind of set everything in motion and just let it, it's just hands off from here. I don't know what your conception is. Maybe you watch The Shack, right? This is supposed to be the Son, the, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. This guy just happens to be going through some stuff. It's a movie. Or maybe your authority comes from one of these folks, right? You got Joel Osteen. Franklin Graham or the Pope. Joel seems so inviting, doesn't he? Look at that million-dollar smile. You will, you will not find any money hidden in our walls, if that's all I'm letting you know. If you, know. If you don't know the story, they found a lot of money in some plumbing. None. You can look though, pull it apart. Maybe this is maybe your conception of God or the people of God, right is that it's doom, it's coming. America's doom. This is Westboro Baptist Church, right? God hates you, right' you're, you're doomed You're sin a lot of it is like you get what you deserve when bad things happen to you because you're such an awful sinner. There's a lot of expressions of Jesus. And so, for us, we're talking about at least at this Christmas time, how has God revealed God's self to us? How has God revealed God's self to us? By what authority do we live our lives and base our truths? And for us, it, it it's two things: primarily Jesus and Scripture. And so, that's what I want to talk to you about today: the Word of God and the Word of God. If you don't know, this has been a helpful distinction of me for me. Uh, This is our small case W Word of God, very important, read it every day, but we come to celebrate in this season the Word of God, capital W, Jesus Christ, the preexistent Son who's coexisted with God since the beginning, right? These are our two sources of authority that speak to us about truth and knowledge and right and love. You know how we preach here, head, heart, hand, something for us to know on this topic, something for us to feel or experience, like what should this be doing inside of us? How should this be shaping us, this truth, and what do we do with it? And I think what we're supposed to know is that the biggest and best picture we have of God is Jesus. Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. In fact, I'm going to tell you, every, I mean, everything we read in, in our scriptures should be read through Jesus. He is the fullest revelation of what God is like. And the best place you're going to find out information about Jesus is in your scriptures. These are our two authorities, right? Jesus and our scriptures. I wanted to go into this long church history conversation about all this, but I'm going to leave it at that, except I'm going to read some some scripture to you. And I do got some big brain quotes for us to think about, but uh, that's what I'm boiling it down to. The authority of our life is Jesus in the scriptures. Here's what Colossians has to say to us. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God because all things were created by him both in the heavens and on earth. The things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him for he is the head of the body, that is us, the church, because all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus and he reconciled all things to, through, to himself through Him. Whether things on earth or in the heavens, he brought peace through the blood of the cross. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the authority. Rulers, thrones, church, everything is made through him and by him, and he is the one who has reconciled all things, and so he gets to be the authority of our life and our world. Christians had a phrase for this, and we simply said, Jesus is Lord. That's what we said. Jesus is Lord. It was a statement of authority, of the world, and of our own life. Jesus is the fullest picture of who God is and what God is like. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? If you want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. And if you want to read about Jesus, you crack open your Bible. Here's a big brain quote from St. Maximus, the confessor. He lived in the 600s. He's an incredible uh, scholar in the church. He went through this whole heresy thing. They booted him out of the church, and the church didn't welcome him back in until after he died. So posthumously, they were like, actually, that guy was right. We were wrong. I love it when that happens. And he's going to talk about that word of God. And here's what he says. Just as the human word, the one I'm speaking now, proceeds naturally from my mind is a messenger of the secret movements of my mind. So he's saying, the word I speak tells you about who I am. Just as that's true, right? So does the word of God reveal the father whom he knows, the only begotten son revealed by fulfilling in the incarnation. That's Christmas, At Christmas time, we learn about who God is because the word named Jesus has been spoken. We learn the deepest, what does he say? The secret movements of the mind. We get to learn about who God is in the secret movements of God's mind because God has spoken finally and fully in Jesus Christ as the authority about who God is in the world. That word which we speak so reveals us. The word that God speaks reveals God. Make sense? You now are, I mean, this is deep seminary-level stuff. You guys are ready for the test. You should know who St. Maximus the Confessor is. Um, but not, you don't have to, not very much. Don't spend too much time there. But. but the word we speak reveals us. We get this point. We get this idea. Because sometimes we get asked, what are you thinking? I don't know. Maybe, maybe everybody gets asked that. But I know a lot of times guys talk about this, right? This is a thread on Reddit. It was like, men of Reddit, when your significant other asks, what are you thinking about? And you reply with nothing. What are you actually thinking about? It's a great question because that person that's next to you wants to know you and wants to know what's going on in your life and what's going on in your brain. They want you to reveal the secret movements of who you are to them. So the question is, guys, primarily, but everybody, what are you thinking about? <laughs> what you thinking about? Right. And some of the, here's some of the answers. Last time this happened, I was actually weighing up in my mind how many German shepherds would be required to successfully repel an attack on a werewolf. <laughs> do you want the answer, though, is the question? That's a, sometimes I look out the window and see a lamp pole, and then I think if it would be able to jump from my window and grip onto the lamp pole. Uh, <laughs> do that. Especially after watching Spider-Man. Last time I was asked this question, I told her this is true. We were in uh, we a church. This is the story. They were at a wedding, and the, question, the answer was, if a zombie apocalypse broke out while we were attending this wedding, would it be a good defensible building? And his answer was yes, right? But of course, the answer is nothing, right? Half the time, it really is nothing, and that reveals the deepest secrets of who I am to you. <laughs> Our world, our word reveals our inner self and our inner thoughts, and what John is trying to tell us in his passage's his opening lines is that Jesus, the Word, reveals the the more authoritative and fullest understanding of God, the most. God speaks fully and finally in the form of Jesus. Our best and our best information, obviously, about Jesus comes from our scriptures. You feel good about that? All on the same page? What is this supposed to do in us? this is true and we have this knowledge and we know that Jesus is Lord and we know that we find Jesus' story in our scriptures, what is that supposed to do to us besides just be a basic fact that we affirm about the the cosmos? Here's what the church fathers and scripture want to tell you about this fact. Is that whether you're encountering Jesus in, in a spiritual experience or you're reading about Jesus, it's supposed to produce in you more love. You know you are tapping into that truth of the universe, that truth of the world, that truth of Christmas, when you are growing in love, specifically love for for God, love for your neighbor, love for self, love for enemy, love all the way around. 1 Corinthians 13, the great passage on love says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, but I don't have love, I have nothing. 1 Timothy 1 says, the goal of instruction is, is love love I'm gonna skip to my man Augustine he tells us this is Augustine in the 300s and 400s uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters think he was the smartest human alive and he was incredible maybe one of the smartest humans alive. the Eastern Orthodox are like he was pretty okay we like him well I mean we'll listen a little bit so depend depend on what team you're on man was brilliant And he says this about reading scripture. Anyone who thinks he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot by his understanding build up this double love of God and neighbor has not yet succeeded in understanding them. The goal of reading, the goal of encountering Christ is to experience a greater and deepening, deep deepening of our own love of God and neighbor. Back in 2007, one of the biggest churches in America called Willow Creek, then led by Bill Hybels, uh, they were huge, but there was a lot of things going on in the church that they couldn't understand. High turnover rates, and people weren't growing as deeply, and, and generations of families weren't being impacted by the gospel. There were lots of people come to Christ, but it wasn't lasting for a very long time. And so they did this thing called the Reveal Study. And a lot of good information came out of it. And they were praised because they actually took a deep, hard look at themselves and the practices they were doing and trying to figure out if it was helpful for the cause of the gospel. Because they had this thing called the seeker-sensitive movement where they were trying to be church for people that weren't really interested in church. And so they were trying to figure out if this was effective, if it was changing lives, changing family and trees, changing generations. And they had a lot of really great stuff that came out of it. But my favorite thing is what they found is information about reading scripture. And this is what they ultimately said. Personal Bible study slash Bible reflection is the most powerful catalyst for spiritual growth. This is true across the spiritual continuum and cannot be overemphasized. This spiritual continuum thing, they had people that were just just coming to faith for the first time versus have been in the faith for generations, right? Their families. And they said, it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey, the most important spiritual practice you could do is read your scriptures and make them the authority for your life, how to live your life, how to, how to navigate your spiritual journey. They said it's so important, it's actually like vanilla and chocolate ice cream, which anytime anyone uses a food metaphor, I'm already bought in. If you don't know, vanilla ice cream is the number one flavor of ice cream in, in America, they said. Number two, they said chocolate which I learned right away that a lot of y'all are pretty boring that's okay I get it You put some butter pecans in there anything you want but vanilla and chocolate but the thing they said about these flavors is that yes this is number one and yes this is number two but this is twice as popular as number two so yeah it's one two and so they gave a list of the most effective spiritual practices if you want to know what those are send me a text I'll let you know But they said, reading your Bible is not only just the most important, it's twice as important as number two. It's the vanilla chocolate of spiritual practices. That's how important scripture reading is. This is my Augustine quote. It's important, it should lead you to love. Jesus is Lord, the authority of our life, and we learn about Jesus in scripture, but all of that truth and all of that knowing and all of that reading should end with us growing in love. And I say that because that hasn't always been true for Christianity at large, hasn't always been true for a lot of folks that I know, and it hasn't always been true for me. And Paul will tell you in 1 Corinthians 8 that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And there's a way in which we can know this truth. There's a way in which we can know this authority for our life. There's a way in which we can consume Scripture the great thing about our modern scriptures that has numbers next to it and so you can say like i memorized 600 verses right we can we can be we can become so knowledgeable about all of this but that it sometimes doesn't end in love it's a we know for sure we're doing it the wrong way right and so we need to know the authority we need to know the truth we need to know the truth about jesus and we find it in our scriptures but if it doesn't result in more love you're simply doing it wrong I have done it wrong. I'm trying to warn you. I know a lot of stuff. I don't know the most. There's lots of people who know more than I do. But I went to school for a long time and I learned a lot of stuff and I can give you lots of facts about this. But at the end of seminary, there's a lot of students who aren't more loving. They're just more knowledgeable. And over and over and over again, Scripture wants you to know that the end of knowing the authority of Scripture and the authority of Jesus should result, if you really know it, if you've really experienced it as true, it should result in more love in your life. Amen? What does God want us to do with this? If this is true, if Jesus is Lord of all and we find Jesus' story in Scripture, this is what the wisdom that's been handed down to us says. Consume Jesus' story until it consumes your reality. You cannot overread this we believe scripture is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Even if you memorized every single word of it, it can still speak fresh life to you. Never stop reading Jesus' story. And I don't even mean, I'm not even saying the whole thing. You should read the whole thing. Read the whole thing. If you're going to get bogged down in certain places. I'm telling you, as, as much as I love scripture and as holy as I am, even reading numbers sometimes is a, You get into a good genealogy, and you're like, good night. Um, Yeah, good night. Falling asleep. I'm talking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are Jesus' story. It begins two-thirds of the way through your Bible at the New Testament. Those are what we call the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, never stop reading. It is the story of Jesus' life, teaching, death, and resurrection. If you just read that every day, I promise you, it'll change your life and your reality. Jesus, at the end of his longest set of teaching, his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, at the end of this great teaching, he gives us this parable. And he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. When I told my kids this story, they said, Bedrock in Minecraft is unbreakable, Dad. (laughs) Unbreakable. I said, what about netherite? I have no idea what these things are. They're like, bedrock is what you're looking for. Everybody who hears these words of mine, it's like someone who builds their house on bedrock. The rain, floods, storms come, and it doesn't fall because it's firmly set in place. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, will be like a fool who built his house on sand. And when the storm comes, it was completely destroyed. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them like somebody who had authority. Jesus is the authority of our life. And Jesus wants you to build your life on his words, on his story on his death, on his resurrection. It, I mean, Mark is 16 chapters. It might take you an hour to read it, but I promise you, if we consume Jesus' story and let it consume our reality, it changes everything. I told you you needed to know St. Maximus' confessor. You do not need to know St. Ignatius Bryonchaninov. He's a, he's a deep-cut Russian bishop. But I love this quote from him because he was talking to monks that were going into the monastery and the person who sh- I read this book who brought up this quote said this advice is not just for monks, it's for everybody. And so I think about this quote often when I think about the gospels. This is what St. Ignatius Brianchananov says. That one is gonna be on the test. From his first entry, he's talking about monks, from, his, from the monks' first entry into the monastery, a monk should devote all possible care and attention to the reading of the Holy Gospel. Not even the whole book, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he's talking about. The monk should study the gospel so closely that it is always present in his memory at every moral decision he takes, for every act, for every thought, he should always be ready in his memory, uh, yeah, ready in his memory, the, the teaching of the gospel. Keep on studying the gospel until the end of your life. Never stop, do not think that you know it enough even if you know it all by heart. Again, I'm not trying to tell you to not read the other stuff because it's so good. But I am telling you that we are going to consume, or at least I'm encouraging you to consume Jesus' story until it consumes our reality because this is the authority of our life. This is where we learn about all truth, namely Jesus. This is an MIT professor. Her name is Rosalind Picard. Dr. Picard works at MIT and she wrote this testimony in Christianity Today and essentially she said, I was just a smart kid and I thought religion was for dumb people and so I had no interest in it. In fact, at a very young age, I declared that I was an atheist and I took that position uh, early and I took it often and I just let everybody know. And she says, I began babysitting for this family in town and And they were both doctors. And so she said, i like to be there. Um, But one time after they came home from a date, they said, you you should come to church with us this Sunday. And she went, how do these super smart people believe in such dumb stuff? (laughs) And so she said, "Uh, I wasn't going to church. They invited me, but their invitation stuck with me because I knew they were brilliant, and yet they believed And so I came up with a story about a stomachache each Sunday. They asked me like four Sundays in a row. And finally the doctor, she said, came, said after one of these babysitting things, uh, came to her and said, well, you don't have to go to church, but you should get to know the authority of the, the Lord of the universe. And she said, well, I did like knowledge, and so I thought I better read my scriptures. I better read the Bible just to figure out what it's all about. So she says, I got a King James Bible, and I weathered through it and it was really difficult and so then I but she said I just had this profound experience that somebody was talking to me she says so then I got a newer translation and I went through that to make sure it wasn't just like a first-timers deal right like it just wasn't like you know you're encountering some of the stuff for the first time and it just feels good and so she read it again and then she said well I want to put this religious stuff behind me, so I should read all the other religious books too. And she said she had this class in high school where this, professor, this teacher let her just do whatever she wanted as long as it was academic and constructive. And so she read through Jewish texts and she read through Hindu texts. And she said, ultimately, I was increasingly eager to spend time with the God of the Bible. So she got to college and one of her college friends, who she said was brilliant, helped her with her physics homework. She said he invited her to church, and by then, she was ready. And there, at church, the pastor got her attention, she said. The pastor got my attention when he asked, who is the Lord of your life? And she said, up until that point, I was. I was the captain of my own ship, she said. That was the line she used. But the way this pastor was talking about authority and the way that I've encountered the God of Scripture— Uh, I had a radical transformation. She said, after praying, Jesus Christ, I ask you to be Lord of my life. My world changed dramatically. As if a flat black and white existence suddenly turned full color and three dimensional. When we consume the story of Jesus, it will consume our reality in a way that changes our life forever. When we encounter the Lord of the universe, and that Lord becomes the Lord of our own life. It's going to make a difference. It's going to be transformational. It's going to be changing. And that, I think, is part of our Christmas message, is that the Word became flesh, and the Word is the most authoritative understanding of who God is and what God wants for us in our life. We do this a couple different ways here at our church. I'm going to invite you to try to make Scripture a part of your life in the coming year. One of the ways that we do that is that I do. I have some discipleship stuff. I'll walk with you one-on-one. We'll read some Scripture together and go through some spiritual practices or whatever you want. If you want to do that, let me know. Put it on the blue card. I'm happy to do that. My wife does something every year, and she's offering if anybody else wants to be part of it. She listens to a podcast that goes through the whole Bible in one year. Uh, you listen to it for 15 minutes a day. Somebody's reading scripture. It's called the Daily Audio Bible. And she said she's willing to, if you want, um, set up a text thread for some accountability. By the way, she says she doesn't do it every day. Sometimes she gets behind. She wants you to know that like, you know, sometimes you'll get a week behind. But it's a, she's happy to set up a text thread if anybody wants to do that. Just say, hey, did you do it today? Or what, what stood out to you today? Or something like that. But if you want to read through the scriptures this year, and encounter the God of the Bible like Rosalind Picard did, uh, my wife would be happy to do that. Take your blue card, and you could just write dab on it. It's D-A-B, Daily Audio Bible. You're dabbing every day. Um, you've got to put a phone number on it, though, so she knows how to get a hold of you. And then I have I got four Bibles here. Anyone that doesn't have a Bible, uh, happy to have one. It's the version I preach out of. They're up here. If you need one or want one, please grab them. We're happy to provide them apps on your phone which is what i use daily Uh, i send out almost a daily text with scripture it's whatever i'm reading that day i take the most profound scripture and i send it out you could probably fill that out on your blue card it says send me the daily bible verse if you want happy to walk this journey with you and to encourage you as best we can because we really do believe that the authority of the whole universe comes down to jesus and the best information we have about jesus comes through our scriptures it is god-breathed life-giving Word to us. Questions, comments, criticisms as we wrap up here today. Hearing none on that app. Somebody give me a sermon series title. Thank you for that. I'm happy to do it. (laughs) So if you have suggestions about sermon series, let me know. I'm happy to do that too. Here's my last bit of information about how to read scripture. The Bible is our authority. We need to come to it with that approach on how to live our life, how to encounter Jesus. But I also want you to know that it's hard to read. It is. It's ancient material. And so there's lots of tools I can help you with to help you understand this better. Ultimately, the best way to read this is you need to read it as Scripture, right? It is, it's not just, it's not just poetry, or it's Scripture, it's holy for us. You need to read it through the Holy Spirit who reveals to us all truth. You need to read it in the presence of, of a community. You are not the authority about what Scripture means. We are the authority about what Scripture means, ultimately through the Holy Spirit. Right? You don't get to decide. You need to submit that to somebody else. And we need to read it with the wisdom of the dead saints who have gone before us. So there's lots of ways we can do that. We need to read ultimately everything through Jesus' story because Jesus is the fullest picture of who God is. And so that is our lens through which we read everything else in Scripture. And we're here to help in all those different ways. Amen? With that said, what God wants us to know is that Jesus is our best picture of who God is and the scriptures are the best place that we can figure out what Jesus said, did, and wants us to do. All of that knowledge and truth, right, can be dangerous if it's stuck in our head alone as just knowledge and truth to affirm. The goal of it, the goal of encountering Jesus, both in our spiritual lives and in, in scripture, is to be more loving and you know you're on the right path when the fruit of love is cultivated in you. And lastly, with our hands, what does God want us to do but consume the story of Jesus until it consumes our reality? This is how we grow. That reveal study tells us this. Obviously, the wisdom of the ancients tell us this. Jesus' story is the thing that shapes our whole life. And so with your spiritual practice for this week, I would love for you to consider some way to add scripture into your daily life if you do New Year's resolutions. I love them. I know they don't work well, but it, Speaks of good intentions. It gives us, it helps us sometimes plan out things that we often don't plan for. So I do resolutions every year and I break them all. But I want to be the kind of person that thinks deeply about our life and adds intention and plan to it. And so I want you to do that too. So figure out some way that you would like to incorporate it. There's lots of different ways we do it here. But if you want to just do it on your own, we're happy to help as well. And with that, I say, let's pray. Bob, thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself in Jesus Christ. Thank you for promising that love comes at the end of that journey. And we pray that you would help us to be so involved in your son's story that it would make a meaningful difference in our life, that it would transform the very nature and core of us, that we would be ultimately become more like you. Help us to do this really hard thing. The opening of the book or the reading of your word, it doesn't come naturally to us. It's not something that uh, many of us wake up and want to do. I mean, we want to want to. So help us move from want to want to to want to. May it be meaningful to us in such a way that we realize we really can't live without it. that you have revealed to us the truth that we don't live by bread alone, that there's something more beyond the physical world around us of what we consume, but that we live by your word. So would we experience that? Would it be like water to parched ground, your word coming into our hearts and minds and souls? And we pray that this time of communion would be catalyst for that spiritual nourishment spiritual energy to to begin or renew or continue on the journey that you've given us as we continue to read your story and consume your story and find our place in your story and as we come to the bread and the cup may we have an experience of you because you promised to meet us here Will we encounter you profound and transformative ways. Table Church, will you finish this prayer with me by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying our Father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.